Hello and welcome to the Access Podcast. We are so happy to have you with us and thank you again for tuning in. Right now, we are going to be talking with Ken Reynolds on today's episode of Tough Conversations. Hey, welcome everyone. We got Ken Reynolds in the house with us today. Ken, how you doing? Doing great. Doing well. Thank you. Hey, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're in uh, our podcast series called Tough Conversations. So it's going to be me, Ken. Bethany's also going to be uh, chatting with us today. Hello, everyone. And so uh, really our, our topic is going to be on, on worship. And you might be asking, how is worship a tough conversation? And really, we're, we're going to um, dive in, pick Ken's brain on, on, on really worship culture, specifically in the Western church, and really ask the tough questions that a lot of young people ask uh, around this topic. And hopefully, hopefully we can have a little fun doing it. So Ken, uh, before we get started, for anyone who doesn't know you, why don't you just give a little uh, a little picture of who you are and what you've been doing here at the church and even just, yeah, just a picture of who you are. All right. Well, again, my name is Ken Reynolds and worship pastor here. I've been here at this church going on. Uh-oh. Drum roll, please. Uh-oh. 20, 20 years. 20 Serious. years. Wow. <clears throat> Seriously, which is crazy. Uh, I never thought I would be at a church this long. Uh, I never really thought I'd be doing church ministry. Uh, but before I get into that, uh, I grew up doing music. Uh, I was playing drums since I was age three. Wow. And then I started um, playing piano, probably at like five or six. And I was writing little songs, you know, seven or eight years old. Started playing the bass probably around 11 or 12. Started on the broom, <laughs> and then worked it, worked my way up to like a an acoustic guitar that my parents got from my brother, <clears throat> and I took that and would just play one string and tune it down to the key of every song. We listened to a record player, realized that I like playing the bass, so I play those instruments and grew up in the church, playing in the church, and my parents were headed up the music. Uh, my father was one of the choir directors. My mother was president of the choir. And yeah, I so, love it when your dad sings. He sings, yeah. He's awesome. That's uh, what we grew up on. So we, our lives were in the church. There's the Baptist church here in town, New Hope Baptist Church. So that's kind of me. Went to college. I was always involved in music. And when I was... I was put in in charge of the choir at an early age. It wasn't for long, though. I mean, I was I was going to school. I went to Western, so I would travel back here for the weekends. And so, you know, music was a part of my life. We had a male group, um, kind of like would you say, a Christian boys to men, uh, <laughs> Christian in sync, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> gospel. Can I, I mean, find that on YouTube? <laughs> well, can I find you guys on YouTube? Probably not. I have record. I have some video of us, and we have some recordings. You gotta show me that later. Yeah, we have some recordings and stuff. I mean, if you're familiar with the Winings or Commission, and you know Fred Hammond, they had groups, and we were similar to that. Okay. So that was, you know, I was I worked in corporate America. So I worked at a corporation here in town. I didn't really think I was gonna be doing church, but I thought I would be doing music. So I didn't think I would. Gr- retire in corporate America. I wanted to produce and travel and tour, and I was starting to do that. 
and I did I've done it I've done so many commercials here locally and regionally basically playing on them you know and so I've done that and some studio stuff and then with our guys we signed a record deal and then we did a video a music video and by the time I see you got by the time I got married and I let's see the group the guy group we were we were together for seven years about seven years and about the sixth year we were together ish was when we did a, a showcase is what you do and if you want to try to get discovered as they say and our first showcase we did we got signed you know and and but at that time I felt God was already changing my heart and I was the leader of the group so I did most of the writing so it was a big deal if all of a sudden I go to them and they're like hey I'm not feeling this anymore <laughs> but uh, what ended up happening is uh, that's a different story but you know someone from here called you know Res Life Church and wanted to know if I wanted to go into full-time ministry and at that particular time I was at a different church part-time in corporate America part-time and and God had been moving so through a series of circumstances and praying and with my wife and I quit the corporate job and left um, the church I was at all at the same time and came here and at that time with the group I took when I was praying about that I remember I remember the conversation I was telling them hey guys I need to pray about some things and I really couldn't go into it with them but I just said I need to just take a break from the group a little bit to pray and I took like a three-month break and the group never did anything else again um, but then I came here and that was a whole new chapter you know and it was worship music and you know I was doing praise and worship at the other church but it was part-time but all the experiences that I had growing up as a kid prepare me to, for what I'm doing today you know I went to school and it was predominantly white school I went to Wyoming Park here in town um, but um, I went to a Baptist church on the weekends, you know. So my experience was quite diverse growing up. And um, I started to realize that, you know, God put in my heart to have a heart for just uniting cultures, uniting denominations. And... Um, so when I started writing music and listening to music, all those influences started coming out, you know. So here I am today. I remember when I was at the other church, someone came up to me and they were saying, you're going to be you know, be in the church, working at a church someday. And I, I just kind of chuckled to myself. I was like, that's never going to happen. Never. Never say never. <laughs> I was thinking, there's no, there's no career in that. You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't comprehend that. And uh, we weren't really exposed to that when I was a lot younger. But here I am, <laughs> you know. 20 years later. Here I am. So so maybe, so 20 years is, is a long time. Mm-hmm. So what do you see as the benefit? You know, they say that the, the millennials and Gen Zers are going to change their uh, professions or just their careers like seven times before the age of 30. Mm-hmm. So what you say is the benefit of like staying somewhere for 20 years and kind of being planted? Mm-hmm. I would say one word would be commitment. 
Um, and another C word, consistency. I, I think moving around is good. Like, this is my third church, but, you know, I have been here a long time, and I've had a plethora of opportunities to, you know, to go other to other places and other parts of the country and actually got offered jobs. But I didn't have peace. And uh, as well as it can be good to kind of explore and, and move around, usually... A lot of people do that because they're trying to advance in their career and the opportunities are giving them maybe a bigger platform or if they're in business, more responsibility, you know, more pay. So there's good reasons to do that. But I think one reason to stay, especially in ministry, um, because the life expectancy, life expectancy, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that'll preach by itself, the life expectancy of a worship leader. <laughs> mm. But, you know, they don't, They I think they say it's three years, wow. three to four years before, and, and burnout is, is, a, is a term that's thrown around, but I don't know if it's burnout or if it's not necessarily burnout from working hard, but even burnout, the light that's inside burns out never really thought about that until i'm talking about it right now you know the passion the love for it mm -hmm. the... why you got into it in the first place why you're doing what you're doing so you know another benefit for for staying especially in, in ministry at, at a church is getting to speak into the culture you know of the church and um sometimes it's sometimes it's good to leave you know, there are definitely occasions where it's good to to leave or to, shall we say, you know, you get a new assignment or God is speaking. That can be good because you can overstay. You can overstay your welcome. That, that happens a lot, you know, where they just are, got comfortable and they were a little bit, you know, afraid of what was out there, so they stayed. But I'm not a proponent of that. I'm a proponent of you stay until, you're, until God calls you to leave. And God hasn't called me to leave. So we're happy about that. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, so I, I appreciate, you know, this church, but it's also important if you're going to stay. Um, here's a couple of things. Um, you know, every church goes through seasons, just like corporations and companies. There's good times, there's bad times, there's uncertain times. And there's, you know, there might be, you know, a season where you where there's a high turnover. You know, every organization goes through those seasons and, you know. I remember a time a number of years ago where I was talking to someone here and they were disgruntled about some things and they were complaining and saying some things that um, I, I wouldn't say would be untrue per se, but there's only so much complaining you can do to where you become part of the problem. You know, and I told them, I said, you know, for me, I had to make the decision that I was either going to become part of the problem or part of the solution. It's one or the other. So I decided that I was going to do my part to be part of the solution you know, whatever that is. So when you stay at a place like, you know, for this long, you have to embrace um, the seasons, every season, and realize that, realize that your voice is not the only voice that somebody wants to hear, you know. So I have to recognize that. Not everybody likes it when I lead. You know, or when I speak, it's like I got to recognize that not everybody likes Ken Reynolds. You know, 
I'm an acquired taste, I'm sure, for some people. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to take that approach because then it allows you to be open for, for, for shall we say, feedback, also for newness, for, you know, the next person. And you also have to be willing to sew in. And so um, there's a mentor of mine who lives in California. Um, his name is Stan. And I've known him for many years. And he has this saying. He said, when you're in your 20s, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. He said, when you're in your 30s, you're getting pretty good at it. When you're in your 40s, you're, 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 you're in your sweet spot, you know. When you're in your 50s, you're teaching it and, and, and mentoring people. And then when you're in your 60s, he says, you're starting over. And I was like, wow, you know, and um, I, I never forgot that. <clears throat> and it's really interesting. So basically what that's saying is every stage in life is significant. There's not one stage in life that's less significant than the other. You just have to embrace it. So, you know, one of the things I'm grateful for this church is, you know, the young and the next gen embracing me and wanting me to be around and wanting me to come back there and hang out. And when I do, when I go back there, I hang out and play basketball with them and, you know, act stupid and say stuff. And I talk to them. You're and, just you. Yeah. I talk to them. And they're freaking out. They're like, oh my God, she's talking to me. I say, so what, what kind of sports you do? They're like, they're looking at me with big eyes like, oh my gosh, you're talking you're the to guy, me. You're the guy on the stage. Yeah. 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 He's got that good voice. <laughs> yeah. You're the guy. I'm the guy. That's You're a right. real dude, though. Mm-hmm. Real dude. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's, a, that's, that's gold. I like that. So 20s, figure out what you want to do. 30s, you're improving, getting good, settling in. 40s is that sweet spot, high performance. 50s is you're mentoring. And then 60s, you're starting all over. Starting all over. Yeah. I, think it's really, I think it's really good for us younger generations to hear because often in people in their 20s especially are freaking out like I need to have everything figured out I just mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm behind when in actuality it's like this is this is a time to be discovering not only foundationing ourselves and identity in Christ but just figuring out like what our passions yeah. what we want everything to look like so certainly yeah certainly hey well let's jump into this I just got a question um about worship culture, specifically in the Western world, in America, often we think of worship, we're thinking Bethel, we're thinking Hillsong, we're thinking Elevation, we're thinking now up and coming Maverick City music, you know, all these different worship groups that kind of represent a worship culture. And I just want to ask some, some questions to get your thoughts on. So the first one is, do you think it's manipulative to affect the emotions of the congregation with lights and fog? And does that take away from the effectiveness of the worship itself? That's that's such a great question. I'm going to answer that question in a couple of uh, a couple of different ways. Does it take away? I'm going to change that word "does" to "can." Huh? Can it take away? Absolutely. It can definitely take away. And I've been in I've been in services where it's taken away, where it's been a distraction for what's going on. Um, of course, here we have all of those things, and we have been criticized for having some of that, you know. So, so here's so here we go. Let's dive into this. Let's dive in. 
name one of your favorite Christian groups. If you, excuse me, if you were going to go to see them, go to see a, them a concert, worship night, if, a worship night. yeah, worship night or a yeah, concert or something. I'm, I'm going to go to uh, Bethel with Corey Asbury. All right. So you're going to go out. You're going to go. You're going to go to some venue. Jeremy Riddle, yeah, something like that. And, yeah. and you're going to do that, or it might be Hills. I've gone to some some big concerts, and one of the first things that you're going to notice, but not really notice, is the atmosphere, the vibe, mm-hmm. which is going to be which is going to be dictated by number one, the room, and you know, kind of how the seating is set up, how the stage is set up, um, and what's often unnoticed is the lighting. The lighting um, affects the atmosphere in a major, major way. Um, And when you go to those concerts, that's all a part of the experience. And, And on one hand, yes, they're putting on a show, but for worship concerts or worship nights, you don't want to look at it that way. It's like, I'm going to worship night. I'm not going to a concert. And you hear people say, that. Well, this is not a concert. This is a worship night. No, it's a concert. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you're I saying mean, it's a concert. I mean. So how do, how, do, so how, do you, how do you associate that with our Sunday mornings then, with lights and? Well, the reason why I say it's a concert, because if you're going somewhere and you're paying. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's a concert. That doesn't mean that paying is a bad thing, you know, because there's costs and all of that. I, th- I think that's fine. But. You, we're going. To, we're, we're going to a worship night. Well, okay. So I've heard people say this, and I'll mention this band. They're all familiar with U2. Okay, U2, one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, they had one of the biggest, biggest shows and biggest light shows to ever tour back a number of years ago. I mean, it was semi trucks and semi trucks and semi trucks. Um, I've heard many people say when I go to a U2 concert. It's like a spiritual experience. Hmm. I've heard many people say that before. So what are they saying exactly? Actually, <clears throat> when you look at, so I've, I've kind of studied that a little bit, and it says when we go there, we see people raising their hands and everybody's singing, and there's like there's this energy in the unity, room. Unity, yeah. This is unity and energy. And they call that like a worship experience, except it's a secular concert with a secular band. So then are they saying that it's not the words that make it that? Are they saying that it's, you know, what's making it feel that way? So for us, it will be the words and the intent and that we're worshiping God, the king. So one of my statements is the church should set the standard for the world. Maybe someone has heard me say that before. Yeah, I have. That's a philosophy that I have. Now, you have to be careful with that because then that means you're trying to go out to either impress, which we don't want to do, or um, outdo, which we don't want to do, because we, we're, we're singing and worshiping for an audience of one. So when you come in here and you see the lights, you know, well, what's the lights going to do? Well, the light's going to focus your attention, number one. So if you came in and all the lights were on, like in here, fluorescent lighting, and they didn't do any lighting on the platform, you would go, wow, it's weird. It's weird in here. And, I'm having a hard time concentrating. Why? Well, I see everybody. You know, I see the person next to you. You know, I, I see everybody. I'm not, so your focus is not drawn in. So when they bring the lights down, we get complaints a lot. Well, it's too dark in here. It's too dark in it's here. It's too dark, yeah. It's too dark. I can't see. I'm going to trip. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, there's, 
there's a balance, and for some it's too dark, and for some it's not dark enough. I understand that. Same thing with volume. Hopefully that's not a question in here. Uh, <laughs> talking about volume. Oh, we don't want to talk about it's that. Been about, it's been louder the last few weeks. I noticed that. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I turned over. I said, I can't even hear myself. This is amazing. Yeah, it's like I can sing now. <laughs> We've had complaints about it being too soft. I can hear myself sing. <laughs> that means, well, I sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if the li- all the lights are on, then it's harder, it's easier to be distracted because there's so much to see. Okay, so that's when lighting can be a good thing. So you bring the lights down a little bit and bring more focus to the platform. Well, do we want to bring focus to the platform or not? Well, that's another question. And I've said this in some of the teachings that I've done, teachings that I've done over the years. We want to make sure that us as a team, worship team, aren't distracting as well. You know, what would happen if we were to go in and all the lights were off and it was pitch black? would we still be able to worship? Technically, we should be able to because, you know, it shouldn't really matter who's on the platform. Really, all we're doing is prompting. Hmm. So we really should be worshiping. Um, but this is a deep subject because when we talk about worship leaders and and the people on the platform, they say, well, we should worship. When we worship, they worship. But we also have to have the element of performance in the back of our mind from the standpoint of, well, we're being watched. So if we just got lost in our own world, we could all of a sudden disconnect from what's going on in the room. So we have to be, a, we have to stay aware of what's going on, hmm. make sure that we're not coming across as, you know, performing, yet while worshiping, draw people in. And what does that? Lights help do that. Um, the reason why the fog is there is it um, helps to focus the lights. And we've had many conversations, even with our team members, because some of them are like, man, the fog bothers me. I'm getting, you know, choked up. "Ah!" You know, depending on what kind of formula you use can affect, you know, your maybe your sinuses or something. But if you were to, I've seen this, if we were to have lights on the platform, you know, pointing a different way in different colors with fog, and all of a sudden you took the fog away, you wouldn't see it as much because what that does, when the fog is there or the smoke is there, as they say, um, it allows where the lights go to focus on something because there are particles. So you're actually seeing the spotlight because the fog is there. If it took the fog away, you wouldn't see it as much. But people really don't know that. Yeah, they think it's a... They think it's for just to be cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, they want to be cool and it's a big concert. We've definitely had comments about that and I understand. Yeah. I think it's an understanding thing is people don't know why it's being done. Mm-hmm. And if they knew it's why it was being done, they might not have a problem with it. They would get it. But yet when they go to a concert, if they didn't have all that, they're not, they feel like they hadn't gotten their money's worth. You know, it's like when I go to a concert, I want every, I want, I want the lights. I want the smoke. I want it blowing my ears out. <laughs> I want all of that, you know, but you know, when we come here, we don't want any of that. We want to just, just me and God, just me and God. And I get it. But we don't do it for that. Um, we're just, you know, there's a line between excellence and, shall we say, you know, overkill. Perfectionism, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's that line. Yeah, when, do you think, when do you think like worship, because obviously, you know, hymns were the, the primary form of, of, you could say, singing, corporate, like corporately singing worship. When do you think like the music element 
and the guitars, drums, right, lights. When do you think that started to become a part of Christian culture, like our expression of worship? And you may not know. I'm just curious. Yeah, well. If you saw that trend happening in your lifetime at all. Mm, not really. It I'm not be- calling you super old or anything. I'm just yeah. <laughs> it happened before. Well, it happened before our lifetime, but. You know, even back in the Bible days, they had, you know, stringed instruments and, you know, with, with David and, and you know, the Bible talks about it with the with the clashing cymbals and with the stringed instruments and with the lyre. And, you know, so they did have those instruments back then. Um, I think where the culture, whether we can want to call it Western culture, gets it uh, gets tripped up on it is we get tripped up on one on style. OK. And then two on how would say denomination i mean it would be it would be difficult to do it in theology because it's in the bible mm-hmm. you know so if you want to argue with the bible then be my guest but i for one don't want to argue with the bible because yeah. <laughs> there shouldn't be guitars so when people say there shouldn't be guitars in church i said well they didn't have electricity you know back then so there wasn't electric guitars so they all they had a harp so you want just harps you know, I, mean, <laughs> I mean we could you, know, you to see that Jake can up there with a nice harp and just <laughs> he can probably do it. You yeah. can play the harp, can't you? Well, well, I haven't tried it, <laughs> but you know we've had that on Wednesday nights. So yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. We have a harpist now. She's really good too. I hope to bring that in on a Sunday morning soon. But I think um, there are definitely some denominations that lend itself to less you know, instruments in their services, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it becomes a problem when we look down on on, you know, a certain, you know, shall we say church or denomination or style because it's not a preference. Go to a church that does all hymns with a pipe organ. Beautiful. I've been to, I've been to very reverent churches that were like, wow, that was amazing. Would I want to do that every week? No, because that's not my thing. But that's definitely somebody's thing, you know. So I think, you know, for... I've seen a lot of now Catholic churches incorporate um, guitars and drums and all that now. Uh oh! Wow! Yeah, they're they're branching out. <laughs> I've seen that a lot. I have uh, a friend who's music a music director at a Catholic church here in town, and they have two different services. They have one that's con- one that's conservative, and one that's contemporary. In the contemporary service, they have the choir, but they have the drums and the electric guitar, and they do that. So, I think it's important for culture to evolve you know and because well for culture to evolve i mean i i I feel it's important for shall i say music to evolve with culture that's what i meant to say um especially in the church because you know relevancy that's a whole nother topic yeah music's so important to reaching people yeah we don't want to become irrelevant um, but that doesn't mean that we do as the world. You know, the Bible says, um, you know, don't be in the world. You know, in the world, not of the world. You know, so it's important that we pave the way. And that's difficult, you know, because there's so many cultures. But if you want to talk about music, I think pop music, so pop, popular. Pop is short for popular. So, you know, when we think of pop music, basically you think about secular music, the, the top 40. But there's also pop Christian music, okay? And I would say what's come to the forefront in the last 10 to 15 years, which is very interesting, is worship music becoming pop. 
Christian music, you know, yeah. and, and, and worship music is, is a style driven by mm, the kind of the intent, because worship music is done in the church because it's, it's sing-along versus I'm listening in, or very artsy. So that's top, your, your top 10 now, or probably half of the songs are going to be worship songs. And that's why the trend has become so big for the Hill songs and for the, for the Bethels and the Elevations. You know, they're, all, they're on the radio now. That would never happen 20 years ago. You never. Know? Yeah. Never. You know, they're on, I mean, like 91.3, all the now, Christian radio stations, you'd never heard worship songs on there. Nope. They were... And now they're, now they're, they're worship music. So that's a great thing, you know, and I think that is one can help the church just as long as the message stays you know, the way it needs to be, and message stays the same, and they don't compromise the message. Yeah, how would you respond to someone who thinks of more of the hymnal organ-type music as more pure or more holy than... Excellent sing- question. ...than singing with, you know, electric guitars or anything like that? How would you respond to someone like that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, we get that We get that here. You know, we get all kinds of feedback, I'm sure you can imagine. Some great. And then, and then some like, hey, not necessarily complaints, but can you do more of this? Can you do more of that? Can you do more hymns? You know, hymns. That's, you know, that's when we were singing God's word, and you know, we've we've heard those, and that's true. There are some hymns that are definitely based on God's word, but there are many, many songs that are based on God's word as well. I just wrote one, Psalm twenty-three. You know, that's a hymn. If you really think about it, yeah. You know, so um, I would say. <sighs> You know, you've probably heard there's definitely some hymns that were originally bar songs. Mm. You know, as far as the as far as the melody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a bar tune. Melody it that is. Well, you know, somebody put words to it, and all of a sudden it becomes the holiest thing ever. You're saying the hymns were actually taken from, you could say, secular culture in order to help people remember the words. Well, either that or they weren't very creative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say that. You know, I think, you know, no telling why they did it back then. I mean, we do that now. We take, you know, we'll take a popular song and put Christian words to it and think that's fun to do, mm-hmm. you know. But I think as the Christian, as as Christianity evolved over time and songs needed to be created and written, you know, that was definitely a way to do it, you know, and take some songs that are popular. And, I mean, it might have also been a great way to evangelize, you know. It's like, hey, I recognize that song, but it's, they're talking about, grace you know wow what is what what is this you know um many of our songs so i i don't you know i don't subscribe to the to the notion that you know hymns are more holy and are more pure than what we're writing now i think it all has to do with the the lyrical content and the spirit in which it's written yeah so what do you do with like a song right not that we're the judge of right whether a song's consistent with God's word or not. What do you do with a song that you feel like is just off, right? Like mm-hmm. where, whether you hear it on a worship album or you hear it on a lyrically, you mean yeah, lyrically, the- like theology. theologically, yeah. So like, mm-hmm. what do you do with that? Do you just like start telling all your friends don't listen to the song, or do you like 
like challenge, you know, like just like someone who feels like even that like we're singing, maybe at res, yeah, like sure. somebody who says like, I feel like that song is just off, like mm-hmm. off centered, off focused. What do you, what have you, cause I'm sure that's happened to you more times than you can even count. Yes, it has. Um, one of the things I appreciate about here is Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie both uh, pay attention to the words um, like crazy. And there's been, I've had many conversations with both of them on different songs, some songs that were songs of the year. I won't mention them, mm. but they're, you know, of Grammy Awards and and they're like, uh, this line right here, it's not totally right. When I look at it, I'd say more often than not, they're correct and I agree with them. There've been some where I challenge, I'm like, well, I don't know if they're really saying that. You know, it's, you know, it's written with this perspective in mind mm-hmm. and they would agree with that, but it says, yes, but that's not what it's saying. So if somebody's not really looking at it that way, they can misinterpret that. And it's totally true. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe one, since I'm an artist, I'm very careful to criticize other artists, other art, you know, whether it's a songwriter or whether it's a painting, you know, whatever a person does for their art, poetry, um, so if I'm not, you know, if I feel that a song is not theologically sound, then we, then we don't sing it. Now there have been songs that we've sung where we've gotten questions, like I said, afterwards, and they say, could you not do that song? Or can we change the lyric? And we try not to change lyrics that much because it's, you know, it's really not the thing to do. It's a copyrighted, copyrighted song. Um, if you change a lyric here or there, and it's not essential, then, then I, and, and, but the song is very powerful and, you know, the church has really grabbed onto it. Then we try to make that work. Um, but you know, when I, since I'm a writer, I'll never forget. There was one of my first songs that I wrote when I was here. Cause I wrote before I was here. I remember Jeannie coming up, Pastor Jeannie coming up to me about one particular line. I'm like, okay, yeah. I was what what song was that? I think it was it was Holy One. I think Holy One. I haven't sung that song in a long time. <laughs> you can sing it for us. That was that was on the Great Things record. But the 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 the, the verse goes, I love you, Lord. The second line, I can't remember what I had, but she wanted me to change it. And I did. I thought she had a good point. And, I, and, and, and what it is now is, you are my source, you're all I need. And I had something different. And she was like, you know, actually, he's your source. What about you are my source? I'm like, yes, okay. So I, you know, I vibe with that. And I, I changed it. Um, since then, um, I really, really pay attention to, to the lyrics when I write a song. I mean, I comb over that thing like crazy it says i want i want this to be theologically sound because someone i've heard someone say and i believe this many many christians get their theology from songs that is so because they don't read the bible yeah Yeah. so but they're singing songs all day long you know i'm no longer a slave to fear they don't know the scripture you know god (laughs) has not given us a spirit of you know spirit of fear but power and love of someone they don't they can't quote that perfect love cast out fear yeah yep but they can they can sing the song. I'm a child of God. So, you know, I think about man, the that. Music's powerful, man. It's very, very powerful. That's why the enemy wants to do all he can to, you know, take it and and turn it and and use it for his for his glory, for the enemy's glory. Um, you know, the original, well, 
That's why Satan is here. <laughs> That's why Satan exists, you know, because of what happened way back. And, you know, part of that had to do with music. So I think now, is, even now, more importantly, we need to do what we can to use music to build God's kingdom. And I think all styles are great. Yeah. If Whether it's hip-hop, screamo, <laughs> I don't care. I mean, if it's uplifting yeah. God, go for it because we're a diverse people. Yeah. So we need to appeal to everybody as much as we can. There's not one way to worship, not one style. Definitely. Well, going off of that, how would you answer the question of, Ken, like, I, I love to worship in church, but what is worship when it's like not just about our feelings and what we think or your preference to the song, but how do mm -hmm. you worship in such a way that is holy to the Lord and glorifies him? Right. Like, yeah, spiritual worship. John yeah. 4, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say in the book of John, chapter 4, I was going to quote that, you know, um, God is looking for those who will worship him in the spirit and in truth. And <sighs> that points to your heart, you know, and you know, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, I'll never forget this. Um, he mentioned something. I was at the church for a conference, and he says, you know, worship is about the heart, not the art. And that stuck with me. And it's so true. I think we get so stuck in our preferences that we can miss it. We can miss what God is trying to speak, what God is trying to say. And in, if you truly want to worship God for who he is, not just for what he's done for you, but who he is, then you can get past the preference and past the style. Now, uh, now of course, we're humans. So humans are, are built on repetition. If you know, know anything about the brain, I study the brain. The reason why we like to sing songs that are familiar is, is because that, that activates a part of the brain because it's because uh, of repetition. So it's like, oh, I can sing that. So that that brings a sense of satisfaction, you know. So if you like something because of a particular style, that's a good thing. So you don't want to listen to something that you don't like all the time. That would affect your mood, yeah. okay? You, you would always be in a bad mood. You get depressed. That's all. That's all connected. Your brain, your senses, your hearing, um, your feelings, all of that is connected. So the human, a human person is, is a much more pleasant and happy being when they are um, either listening or participating or doing something that they like. And, and more often than not, it's going to be something that they've done before because that stimulates the reputation, okay, the repetition. So if you're singing something that you don't like all the time, then you're not going to want to do it. And for worship music, or any type of music, but especially worship, you need to get past the style sometimes. You know, if you're going to a church that does all hymns and you hate hymns, well, that's just not wise to do. You know, but you can sing a hymn every once in a while and get into it. You know, I mean... You know, Alec, you know, you're sitting here at the table. You probably can only name maybe a couple of hymns. <laughs> yeah. I won't quiz you. 
Well, Ken, my so my you know my father in law, so Abby's family. Yes, yes. He's a pastor of Reformed Church, mm-hmm. so they they do all hymns, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll go like over for dinner, or we'll be with the family, and they're very traditional. So they're like, "Let's all sing a hymn together." And then they're like, "We're gonna sing this." And I'm at, like, the, at, at, at the table, at the table, one. I'll be like. <laughs> Everyone's singing along, and I'm just yes. like, <laughs> Nate Jansky got married. I'm in the wedding, and they're singing this hymn in the in the ceremony. Everyone in the, in the right, everyone's singing along. I'm just sitting there like, no idea what this song is, because <laughs> we didn't grow up singing hymns. It's just a funny story. Wow, yeah, you know, I think we'll always have that, just because we're human, and humans have a choice. You know, God created us with, you know, a choice. That's what we choose to worship. You know, I, I wrote a song called I Need to Worship. Lord, I need to worship you. It's a choice, you know. Um, so he's given us a choice to worship, to accept him. And we have a choice to like a particular style. So I think as long as we keep it in perspective and know that who we're worshiping is really all that matters, you know. And, it, and, and if you're pure in your heart with why you're doing it, because God doesn't care about style, it's like, well, God just wants to make sure that you're worshiping him for who he is. Yeah. He's looking for true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So know why you're doing it. And, and you know, style becomes secondary, you know. That's good. Here, I want to wrap it up with this. This is this last question here. This will be the last thing we talk about. It may take us five more minutes. I don't know. So, how would you how would you describe or how do you describe the importance or the reason why we corporately worship? Mm-hmm. Because worship is not about music and singing. Mm-hmm. You know, Romans twelve talks about offering your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, really, us offering mm-hmm. ourselves, our lives to God, is our spiritual act of worship. But there's a very right there is a very real need for us to worship corporately as a church family. Mm-hmm. How do you describe that importance? Sure. Well, also, it says in Hebrews, to forsake nothing, selling of yourselves together. So God likes it when we come together, number one. Number two, it says in, in, in Psalms, um, um, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. So God loves unity, number one. He likes it when we get together. And he uh, inhabits the praises of his people. And where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. So sure, you know, we what we kind of say in... In, uh, in our team, Worship and Creative Arts, is, you know, worship, when you come here on the weekends, it should be an overflow of what's I happening like through the week. I like that. You know, if it's not, then that means that the only time you're worshiping God is when you come on Sunday. What happens if you don't come one week? Then you didn't worship that week, you know? So that means when we get together, it should be like... Overflow. Yeah, overflow. overflow. Spilling, yeah. Splashing. Spilling, spilling overflow. So... There's two, there's two uh, occasions where we worship, individually and our, by ourselves, and when we come together. So God likes it when we come together, and um, I think that's the main reason why we do it. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible also says, you know, how we can put enemies to flight, right? One, put a, how many to, uh, how many to a flight? A thousand. Two. Ten thousand. So imagine... If we had a thousand people or ten thousand people coming together, what kind of damage we could do? Come on, I'm about Ooh. doing damage to the devil. <laughs> yes, <laughs> damage to the devil. That's what we'll title this. We'll title this podcast. 
damage to the devil. Doing damage to the devil. I like it. A bunch of D's. I love it. (laughs) Well, Ken, well, thank you so much for for coming and sharing your wisdom and your perspective. And thanks just for being a great leader. You know, I, I look up to you a ton and, and I'm grateful to, to be a part of this uh, church family together with you. Mm. And, same uh, here, same here. Yeah, and giving us your time. We know your time is valuable and appreciate you coming in and sharing with the young adults. Thank you. We'll have you back Thanks. on. Well, thank in you. In the future. I, I would love to. So Jake, Bethany, and Alec, thank you all. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone who listened. We look forward to having you back next time.